Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It's on page 1177. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. See the words are up also up on the screen there. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Let's pray. Lord our God, this is your word. We ask that you would help us not to treat it lightly or contemptuously. We ask, O Lord, that we would not be arrogant with it or flippant with it. We thank you that it is your holy word by which you communicate to us who you are, and by which you create in us new life, and by which you teach, inspire, encourage, rebuke, discipline. You do all this through your word. We bless you that this beautiful evening we are able to be in this beautiful building. We are able to sing your praise and to have fellowship with one another, and that we are able to hear your word. Lord, we come to you and we ask forgiveness. Forgiveness for uh, times when we have gone against you and forgiveness when we have given up on you. We bless you, O Lord our God, that you have never given up on us. We pray that you would bless your church throughout this city. We think of other churches that meet this evening. Uh, Pray for Central and uh, for Logies, for Elam. O Lord, we ask your blessing to be upon these and many other fellowships. We ask that as they too look at your word and hear what you have to say, that they would be encouraged and strengthened in it. Help us now then as we turn to this. In your name we ask it. Amen. Excuse me. It's a really weird thing, but uh, I've preached three times when I've been in this church on spiritual warfare, and each time it's been a really, really tough day. And uh, same thing again. So maybe there's something in this spiritual warfare after all. There are great themes and a great dream in this letter. God's purpose conceived before time began to create a single human race through the death and resurrection of Christ, to unite the whole church and creation under Christ's headship. That's what Paul has been speaking about in Ephesians. John Stott calls this God's new society. It has both Jews and Gentiles. Division and discrimination have gone. There's a new oneness. There's one Father. There's one family. There's one Spirit. There's one Savior. There's one body. And we are now called to live a life worthy of that calling. And Paul urges us and describes a situation where there is unity in Christian fellowship, diversity in gifts and ministries, 
living a life of true righteousness and holiness, submitting to one another in every kind of domestic and social relationship. There's unity and diversity and purity and harmony, and it's a great, great vision. And then you come down to earth, and Paul deals with the fact that so often it is not like that. He goes almost from the imagery of something that is very peaceful to that of the battlefield. And we don't like it. It jars. We don't want to hear about conflict. We hate conflict. And here, and and war, we don't want to hear about war. We hate war. And yet here, Paul comes and says, you are in a battle and you have to stand. You have to take on the armor of God. This morning I spoke about, or spoke from the passage, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 10, where Jesus talks about the difference between the false shepherd and the true shepherd. And one of the differences is this. When the wolf comes, the false shepherd suddenly gets a calling somewhere else, runs away. Jesus didn't run away. When the battle came, when it was fierce, when he was tempted in so many different ways, and when he even got to the extent of crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus never turned away from it. Christianity is a battle, and we need to recognize that, and we need to acknowledge that. And those Christians who want to retreat into a Christian commune Those Christians who think that they can protect themselves, their families, or the church from this spiritual warfare are not listening to what Jesus says, are not understanding what the Bible says about the world that we live in and the difficulties that we face. There are times when it is so hard, you become so weary in well-doing, you're so worn out, you are so spiritually battered and bruised that you just want to give up. You've lost. You you lose all heart. And it's that situation that Paul comes and addresses. He says to the Ephesians after this great vision and this fantastic teaching and this practical exhortation, he says, finally, and then he encourages them to be strong in the Lord. Now, we're going to look, first of all, at that being, what that strength in the Lord is. We are to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. There's a balance in Scripture here. What does Scripture tell us? It tells us that we are to be strong, but we are to be strong in the Lord. We cannot do it in our own strength, neither can we just sit back and do nothing. The exhortation here comes from other parts of Scripture. Joshua 1.6, for example. Put that up there on the screen as well. Be strong and of good courage. But the one I was particularly uh, aware of was uh, David when he had to face what uh, a really difficult situation. In, it's up there on the screen. It's 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David 
found strength in the Lord his God. It's an extraordinary passage. The situation was that David's men, his own people, the people who were on his side, were really bitter against him and really angry against him. And why were they? They were scared because of fears for their children. They were involved in this battle and they became bitter in their spirits and they became bitter towards David. And he was shattered by this. He was exhausted by this. And so he was greatly distressed, it says, because the men were talking of stoning him. They wanted to kill him because of where his leadership had taken them into an extremely dangerous and risky situation. And what does David do? He finds strength in the Lord his God. His men may be about to stone him, but he will find strength. And that is the exhortation that Paul is saying to the Ephesian Christians. He's saying, whatever comes your way, you be strong in the Lord. And it's to be a growing strength. Romans 4 verse 20, Paul commends Abraham. He says, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. When you and I are weak, we need to be strengthened. And we need to be strengthened by God's grace. There are so many times that for me personally, coming here and coming standing up here, that you, you, you want to run away. You don't want sometimes to take this responsibility. And you pray as you come in, Lord, give me strength. Just give me strength. And that's where we are to come. That's where we are to go. We're, we struggle in so many different ways. And we have to take on this exhortation to be strong in the Lord. The source of the strength comes from him himself and his mighty power. Now, he goes on to describe what that means, that we are to put on the full armor of God and to stand against the devil's schemes. We're going to look over the next few weeks at what that armor actually is. So I want to focus this evening on taking our stand against the devil's schemes. The armor itself, uh, the word is panoply, the whole gear, everything. It was the full equipment of the heavily armored foot soldier. What he wore when he was uh, attacking and what he wore when he was being attacked, when he was defending. And every part in this armor was necessary to cover the whole body. And there's an important lesson in that. We struggle because in some areas we are strong and in other areas we are weak. And so the devil attacks the weak points. I used to, as a young Christian, imagine myself, I, I wanted to be a missionary, but I also imagined myself as some kind of martyr. And I used to have this vision of, it was long before 24, but I was a bit like Jack, what's his name, in, in uh, uh, Bauer in, in 24, where, you know, no matter how much you torture him, he's never going to betray or give up or whatever. And I used to think, well, I could have that kind of strength. It would be good to have that. 
well, I don't know, I've never been tested in that particular way and now I don't particularly want to be. But I know that God comes in, not God comes in, the devil comes in at the very weakest points and disrupts and attacks and destroys. And that's hard for us to take on board. Look at what the devil does. He talks about the devil's schemes. Now, if you read this letter carefully, you go back through the letter, Paul is referring to the whole letter, and he he describes what he does. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, I've just put them up there, two two main things. He seeks to alienate us from God. So, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's what the devil seeks to do. He seeks to alienate us from God. He asks Eve, did God really say this? He causes us to doubt God. He causes us to question God. He causes us to blame God. In chapter 4 and verse 18, you find a a similar thing where he says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Ignorance and corrupted thinking, disobedience, these are the things that alienate us from God. I said this morning about it's good for elders to, to ask. It's good for us to ask one another, how are you getting on spiritually? And sometimes someone may not want to ask that question, answer that question, but sometimes they might say something like, I don't think I'm getting on very well. Why not? Sometimes it can be because just of straight out disobedience. God has told me to do something. God has shown something in his word and I'm saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Or it could be ignorance. We don't know. We're not aware. Or it could be corrupted thinking, that our thinking has been twisted away from the truth of God and his word, and we've adopted a different form of thinking, which really just eats away at us like a cancer and destroys us. That's what the devil does. He also tries to separate people from each other. And I've just put some of the things that are mentioned, how that happens in Ephesians. For example, through greed, chapter 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Paul says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And there are different forms of greed. There's gluttony, there's uh, greed in terms of other sensual pleasures, there's greed in terms of what we want, and we allow them to predominate over God. And greed alienates us from other people. It alienates us from our Christian brothers and sisters. There's lies. In chapter 4, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. 
Christians lie to one another? Yeah, we do. We lie. We pretend. We say one thing to somebody's face and another thing behind their back. The great sin of gossip destroys and harms the Lord's church. Yep, we do that. And there's anger, specifically related to the devil in chapter 4 and verse 27. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And there are all the related sins that come from that in the rest of chapter 4. Bitterness and slander and rage and malice. Instead, we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. The devil loves to see Christians getting angry with one another, to see Christians lying, to see Christians giving in to corrupt thinking and the discouragement and all the things that he pours out. We need the full armor of God to stand against that. And I am I'm just absolutely amazed that so many Christians think, ah, it's not a problem, I can just get on. I don't need any of this. We do. We need it. Who are we fighting? Let's think about this. We are fighting the devil. But <clears throat> I want to stress what Paul says here. I want to, a negative. The first thing is, we really are not fighting other human beings. It is a fundamental mistake for us to think, Oh, I'm really scared of, and then you name a particular group, the Muslims, really scared of the Muslims. Our, our opposition is against the Muslims or atheists, really scared about the atheists. Or more often than not, we find Christians getting really, really angry, fighting against other professing Christians, even um, false Christians. And sometimes within a fellowship, we tend often to fight amongst ourselves, people who are really, really close to us. But it's a mistake that we make. Our fight is not against other human beings. Our fight is against the devil. And here is the problem. So many people do not believe practically in the devil. Part of his subtlety is to convince us that he does not exist. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church is the, today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. We should never underestimate the power of the devil. <clears throat> we are, should also say this, we're not really fighting against human systems. When it says here, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, it's not really referring to human governments, though there may be an element of truth in that human governments have often ended up persecuting Christians, and would certainly be the case in Ephesus. But it is here primarily a spiritual concept, because he speaks of the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Human institutions are not demonic. Our fight is primarily against an unseen enemy. And we need to know who that enemy is. If we underestimate our enemy, 
we see no need for God's armor. We will go out in our own strength and we shall be defeated. If we overestimate our enemy, we will retreat and we will not stand. The Ephesians were aware of the devil. They'd been involved in occultic practices. If you go back to Acts 19, verses 30 to 20, Ephesus was a place where there was a lot of uh, occultic practices. Rulers and authorities here are, uh, indicate something supernatural and something powerful. Paul uses a word for spiritual forces, cosmocrator, which is a word that was used for uh, astrology and astrological thought. And he's, he's just saying these forces exist. They are powerful. They are wicked. They hate the light. They love darkness. They have no moral principles. They scheme. He's saying they don't obey the Geneva Convention. They don't fight fear. And he also says this about the devil, that he is an angel of light. The devil rarely attacks openly. No wonder 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He roars like a lion, but is as subtle as a snake. I'm afraid, says Paul, that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Stott, we must not imagine, therefore, that open persecution and open temptation to sin are his only or even his commonest weapons. He prefers to seduce us into compromise and deceive us into error. Our enemy is the accuser, the deceiver, the liar, the murderer. He is Lucifer. He is a created being. He is limited in power and in knowledge. He is a fallen angel. Whether we like it or not, each of us as Christians is involved in a cosmic warfare, in a spiritual battle. You cannot decide not to fight. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, there is a balance here, and you have to be very careful. Not everything is directly from the devil, but he can use our own weaknesses. We read already in Ephesians 4 about giving the devil a foothold. And Paul uses that in the context of you and I losing our tempers, being angry, being bitter. And we give the devil a way in. The devil can't come in to believers. Believers can't be demon-possessed, but they can certainly be demonically influenced, as Peter was when he urged Christ not to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. We can give him a foothold. We also, by the way, need to recognize this, that not everything evil is directly from the devil. He's not like God. He's not omnipresent, though he too has his angels or rather his demons. And it's way, way beyond us to deal with this. When people, Christians kind of glibly say, oh, well, I say to the devil this and the devil that, they don't quite grasp or get how serious this is and how difficult. Martin Luther at times would pick up his ink pot and when he was writing and throw it, as he said, at the devil. Um, 
because he was just, he, he faced some of these battles. We need the full equipment. In one sense, it looks as though the devil has an enormous advantage. He is invisible. We do not know who we are fighting, and we struggle with our own sin. And yet, Paul gives us something that is really, really encouraging, and the whole of Ephesians is about that. He says that actually Christ has already won. This is not a battle that is in doubt, and it's not a battle that we're wondering, there's the forces of good, there's the forces of evil, and who's going to win? I like a lot Ephesians 1, 17. I'm not going to read the whole thing, 23, but he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his comparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. D-Day's happened, but there's still a lot of fighting to be done. The battle has been won in the heavenlies, but that is being worked out in our lives and in this world. And that's why he uses the word stand. Stand. He repeats it twice. Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. The day of evil is not always here. We couldn't cope with that. But there comes times when we experience the consequences of sin the directness of sin, and sometimes the directness of evil. Mostly demonic attacks, satanic attacks are indirect. Sometimes they are incredibly direct. And Paul says we have to stand. Now, one or two Christians that I've read seem a little bit puzzled by this, and they say, why are we standing? Why aren't we going out and taking the ground? Why aren't we attacking? Defeating spiritual strongholds and so on. The first duty of the Roman soldier was to stand with his fellow soldiers and protect Rome and prevent an incursion from the enemy. In Christian warfare, Christ and his kingdom are the ultimate target. We are not called upon to perform individual heroics as though God couldn't do without us, but to resist and to prevail against Satan's attack on the kingdom of God. Christ won the victory when he cast out demons. Look at this amazing verse in Luke ten eighteen. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We don't need to accomplish what has already been done. To stand is not passive or static, 
but it's the active accomplishment of our present task. We don't need to go hunting for the devil. He will find us. And when he does, we just have to stand. And we don't stand alone. We are to fight together. Lone soldiers are easy to pick off, like one of these video games, you know, that um, some of you really love playing where you're some kind of marauder and you have to go around and bop off lots of individual people. The devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. It's why it's so desperately sad when you see Christians isolating themselves, cutting themselves off from fellowship, thinking they are strong enough, they don't need it, being upset and angry and saying, I don't want to be part of this. And they isolate themselves and they are there ready to be picked off. Paul says, don't do it. Stand. Stand with your brothers and sisters. Hold on together. Sometimes when the, the, the storm comes in, like a massive flood, just hold on. I've experienced a little, and I mean a little, of um, what I would call spiritual warfare in this. And it's just absolutely overwhelming. I remember we went through a period where I used to dread communions because every time we had communion, they were, you know, the communion was great and it was every, but boy, the days around it were just a torture and a nightmare. And it was all the devil came in. You know, you could, you could see things that, that just happened. I remember one time, not with a, a communion, but we were doing an outreach when I was a very, very young Christian and a lot of people became Christians, but boy, did the devil have a go at us. And, and it was through normal things like people losing their temper with one another, getting hurt. And he picked on our weak spots. He picked on our pride. He used these things to cause disruption and harm. And yes, I know, and I hope I've explained this already, there is a human element to this. You can't just turn around and say, it was the devil made me do it. But the devil is subtle and he knows how to get us to turn in on ourselves. To say, sometimes it's a little bit more direct. And um, I will mention one thing without any particular great detail, but uh, the week that I went into hospital last October was a really, really tough week spiritually. It was before going into hospital. It was a really tough week in lots of ways. And the devil was active in so many ways. And Gordon Wilson uh, and myself had produced a paper that got into, became headlines in the Scotsman. And it is not, I don't think, it would be wrong to say that all hell broke loose. And I don't think the devil made me ill, but I think there was a spiritual aspect to it. And in hospital, um, there were two occasions which were personally the darkest spiritual moments I've ever known uh, in my life. And the full armor of God, I had no armor to put on, but I'll tell you this, my family did, because the word of God and the shield of faith was really quite extraordinary. And I think 
that we need to be very, very careful not to give the devil a foothold, not to exalt him into a place that he should not have, not to be afraid of him so that he cripples us from doing anything, but not to ignore him and to realize that we have a part to play in the spiritual battle and our part is to take on this armor and to stand fast, to stand firm. And the Lord will sustain and the Lord will keep because the battle belongs to the Lord. I think I also want to say for any here who are not yet Christians, and you came in here tonight and you thought, my goodness, I wasn't expecting to get all this devil and demonic stuff and, and so on. That's the world. We live in a world of darkness. We live in a world of great beauty. We live in a world of great ugliness. There is a battle and you really do have to determine and choose whose side you're on. Who is on the Lord's side? Well, I want to be on Christ's side, and I want to serve him, and I want to follow him, and I hope and pray that you will do so as well. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.